Have your Bible with you this morning. We're turning to the New Testament, to two verses, one in the Gospel according to John and the other in Matthew's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And commencing to read, please, at verse 20. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And commencing to read in verse 20, and then we're going over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, for one verse, one verse there. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee. And desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now I want you to keep that in your mind, and I want you to come with me to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, and verse 17. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. As we stand on the end of this year, and as we stand on the threshold of another, I'm sure with the recollection of the past and with a measure of anticipation of the future, as we look back over the highs and the lows, the trials, the storms, the fears, the uncertainties, the disappointments, the difficulties, the valleys, the battles. I'm sure after our minds would be flooded with all of those different experiences, our minds would turn to the blessings that the Lord has showered upon us day after day, moment after moment, hour after hour. I'm sure that the greatest of us here this morning to the least of us would be able to say concerning the Lord Jesus like those in the villages of Decapolis, He hath done all things well. In the November of 1621, when men and women from England landed on the shores of America, they planted their first, first seed that year and they reaped it in the harvest of of the same. There was a man who came to the meeting and what they were going to do, they were going to have a prayer meeting for the following year. They were going to seek the Lord for provision in the year that was to come. And he proposed that they would fast and they would pray. One of the people in the congregation on that November morning stood to their feet and said, Sir, would it not be more beneficial for us to thank God for what he has done? That's where the Americans get their Thanksgiving Day from on the 4th of November every year. 
It originated in that date in 1621 when the men and women who went over to America into Newfoundland and they reaped the harvest and they set aside a little period of time to give thanks unto God. I'm sure this morning as we gather in the house of the Lord and gather with the people of God, every single one of us that are saved, we've got a reason in our heart to rejoice and to thank God, the one who brings beauty from ashes. The one who I'm sure day after day has given many the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I think it would only be right this morning to turn our eyes for a moment or two and gaze upon the man that made it all possible. The blessed man of Calvary. And I want to, in the moments that we have together, is to get your eyes off yourself. I want to get your eyes even off your family and again off, off the nation and again, off even all of the situations and circumstances in your life and in my life. And I want us to come this morning and lift our hearts and gaze by the eyes of faith. Behold the blessed Lamb of Calvary. Sometimes we sing it around the table on a Sunday morning, the man of Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free. Blessed Lamb of Calvary. You know, Moses was a mighty man. And it says of Moses that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And my task this morning, given by me from God, is to give you a vision, a fresh glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you and I would refresh our souls and strengthen our love and refresh our hearts as we gaze upon the blessed Son of God. There's many ways that we can look upon someone. If we haven't got them in the flesh and we can't beat them in pur purpose, one of the many ways that we use to refresh our minds is to use photographs. And maybe your house is like my house at Christmas time. You'll get the photograph album out and you'll start to go through the old photographs. And you'll start to look at friends and family members that used to be there, but they're no longer there. And you refresh your memory. And every time you lift the photograph album out and you, you flick the pages, how, how it seems to encourage your heart, how the memories seem to flood back of that individual that you met and that individual that you knew that you knew so well. I want to bring you this morning to God's photo album. I want to walk with you this morning as we would walk together through God's divine art gallery. Because I can tell you, my dear people, this morning that this book that we have before us, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's really a picture book. And on the Friday nights with the young people, we've been going through some pictures in the Bible. And there's many pictures that are in this old book, and I'm sure you were like me as a child. You liked a picture book because you didn't have to read. And they say a picture can paint a thousand words. There's some things a picture can do that words can't do. And whenever you lift a photograph out of your photo album and you look at a beloved friend or a family member or a father or mother that's no longer there and you gaze upon them, my, it touches your heart. We're going to lift a few photographs out this morning. We're going to walk together down in God's art gallery and we're going to gaze at some pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I have said, the Bible is a picture book. From Genesis to Revelation, there's pictures of redemption. 
Pictures of salvation. Pictures of revival. Pictures of substitution. Pictures of the saints. Pictures of the church. And pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you that we, if we have the desire, like the Greeks as they came to Philip and said, Sir, we would see him. Whenever we see him, we'd be like those in the upper room in Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And one of the greatest needs among the people of God today is to learn how to worship God. How to worship him in spirit and in truth. How we can lose sight of everything and everyone around us to come into the presence of the Lord and to just to bask in his presence and to gaze upon him in his majesty and his beauty and all of his authority. To worship him. Where we don't come to ask and we don't come to get. Where we just simply come to bask in the presence of God. I want you to use your imagination this morning. We're walking down through the art gallery of God and we can see on the walls there's portraits of men and women that God has mightily used. You can see a mighty painting or portrait of David and he's killing Goliath. You can see another portrait of Elijah and he's, he's on Mount Carmel and he's, he's praying down the fire on the altar. And portrait after portrait they're gripping and then we turn down Little Avenue and we come into a, an area in the art gallery and it's portraits that are painted by the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah knew how to paint a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the most lovely pictures and portraits of him are found in that blessed book. He painted the picture of the child that was born in chapter 9. He painted a picture of the lamb that was slain in Isaiah 53. He painted a picture of the conqueror that is coming in chapter 63. And as we walk down through this section of the art gallery that the prophet Isaiah has painted and we see image after image, there's a picture that gets your attention and we stand and we gaze. We stand and we look for a moment in, in awe and solemnity as our minds fasten upon it. There's a man in the picture. He's an apron about his waist. He has a basin in his hand. There's obedience in his heart and on his face there's the, the symbols of submission. On the top of the painting, on top of the portrait, there's a, a title that has been painted and it says the perfect servant. And underneath it is Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. One of the lovely paintings and portraits of the Lord Jesus that you'll never see on a Christmas card is the picture of him as the perfect servant. And every believer here this morning, no matter how long you're saved and no matter how long you're on the road, I want to tell you that God has saved you to serve him. We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, whenever he was writing his letter to the, to the church at Rome and to young Titus, he said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's why whenever James penned his little epistle and Jude did the same and Peter did the same, they always started by saying, a servant of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you, dear people, this morning as we stand at the end of another year on the threshold of a future year,
It is always good to examine our service towards God. It's always good to take a spiritual audit. And my accountant, what he does, coming up to April of the following year, he'll always send a letter saying, Stephen, don't forget to put your books in order. And I'll have to get into this little room sometime and I'll have to put all the figures together. And I'll have to see how the banking has been done. You know, as the people of God, it's good to take a spiritual audit of our lives. To see our service in the sight of God. And I'm sure as we look back over the year that has passed, every single one of us would have to say, I wish I had given him more. You see, the Bema, that moment that the Lord Jesus comes back and the rapture of the church in the moment of the twinkling of an eye, the first thing that happens is that you and I were brought to the Bema. The Bema seat. One of the old Greek words for the word Bema is the word footprint. And I think one of the things that God will do with you and I, he'll lay our service alongside the service of the perfect servant. Where our footprint in life and all of our impact and all of our activity will be set beside the footprint of the blessed master. And the bema where men will receive the rewards of their deeds and some will receive gold and silver and precious stone. There'll be those that will receive wood, hay and stubble. And there'll be those that will be saved as but by fire. You see, the perfect servant, and if you want to advance in your service for God, we're going to have to look at him, we're going to have to gaze at him, and we're going to have to see some of the things that he had that we need to have. One of the lovely things about the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect servant is that he was marked by humility. I've been thinking before the Lord as I lay in bed for a few days with the flu, how proud we are. How many of us we like to defend ourselves and how many of us we like to we like to advance our own desires and we like to be praised and we like to be eulogized, but he wasn't like that. The Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect servant. He was marked by humility. There was never one and never will one and never can one stoop as low as he stooped. And Paul writing to the church at Philippi and there was division there. There was two sisters in that church and they weren't seeing eye to eye. And Paul penned the letter to the, to the church at Philippi and he said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we've been singing our Christmas carols and we'll be looking at the pictures and the portraits on our, on our cards that people will send and that we will send and we'll see the picture of the little baby Jesus laying in a manger. But I want to remind your hearts this morning that that little baby was the creator of the universe. What a step. Where he stepped from eternity into time. Where he came from the robes of glory into the rags of of the manger, where he left the worship of angels, where he came to be watched by animals, where he left the heavenly splendor and the majesty, and he came to Bethlehem's lowly crib. 
And there on that day when Mary held the little baby Lord Jesus in her hands, the one who knows all things, the one who sees all things, the one who upholds all things by the very word of his power, she held him a little span's length in her hand. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And there the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, the Prince of life, the friend of sinners, the Lamb of God, the Son of the Father, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I was thinking this morning of the carol that we often sing, Heal the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Heal the Son of Righteousness, led the life that all the healing he brings rises with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more should die. And here he lays his glory by and he comes down into the little manger and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he could say, Lo, it is written in the volume of the book, I am come to do thy will, O God. He was marked by humility. He was marked by humility in his life. He lived in Nazareth, the sin capital of Judea. He was despised. He was rejected of men, the man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Whenever the John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan, he said this to the nation of Israel, Ye know him not. And for 30 years he walked among them. 30 years he moved among them. And yet he says, You don't even know him. The lowly Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the lowly Nazarene, the one who could say the foxes of their holes and the birds of the air of their nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. He had to borrow a penny. He had to borrow a boat. He had to borrow a donkey, and he had to borrow another man's tomb. And the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made made rich. But there's not only the humility of this perfect servant this morning, there's the personality of this servant. We would need to see what he's like. My, I would love to have met him. I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure we would love to have been alive in the days of the Lord Jesus, just to come in contact with him, just to hear him, just to touch him, just to spend time in his company. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was wholly harmless, undefiled, we have never been in the presence of a sinless man. The Lord Jesus Christ was marked by gentleness. In Isaiah 42, it says, A bruised reed, he'll not break it, and a smoking flax, he'll not quench it. And I'm sure this morning as we sit in this house, there's many of God's people, and you this morning could just be like a bruised reed. And you've known about the attacks of the enemy and you've known about the disappointments in your life and you've known about the failures in your family and you sit here this morning and you say, Lord, my life hasn't turned out the way I wish it had. Lord, I'm just like a little bruised reed. I don't feel valuable. I don't feel that you can use me. Lord, Lord I can see others being used by God, but I don't think that I can be used. And you feel as if you're in the scrap heap of life. Well, the Bible says a bruised reed will not break it. And you could be like a smoking flax. There was a time in your life when you were on fire for God. There was a time whenever the flame was high and the heat was high and the, the passion was high and the burden and the vision and the intimacy with God. My, you were on a high plane with the Lord. But this morning you're just like a smoldering flax. 
and there's more smoke than light. But a bruised reed he'll not break it, and a smoking flax he'll not quench it. And I'm glad this morning that the one who went down into the potter's house and he saw the potter and he was making the clay and it says that the vessel was marred, he made it again. He made it again. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect servant, he was marked by gentleness. He was marked by faithfulness. Because the Father could say of him almost a thousand years before he came, he shall not fail. Did you fail during the week? As you look over 2022, can you see the failures? Can you see the ups and the downs and the inconsistencies? Can you see the times when you let the Lord down, did things you thought you would never do? The Lord Jesus Christ was a perfect servant, and the Father could say of him, he shall not fail. And he didn't fail. When every other servant of God did fail, and the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son. The perfect servant. He could say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. He's the unfaithful servant. He's the unfailing servant. He's the unchanging servant. My dear people, this morning, if you're not saved, for you, he's the unwanted servant. And you've heard so much about the Lord Jesus Christ and you've heard about the message of the gospel and you've heard about the cross and you've heard about the precious blood that was shed and yet this morning you don't want him. He's unwanted. And with all of the celebrations over Christmas and with all of the trees and with all of the great dinners and with all of the great presents, the Lord Jesus Christ is left out of it. He's sitting in the corner. No, to bring him back again. To bring the perfect servant and to gaze on him and say, Lord, in the year that is to come, will you, will you refine my service? Lord, I want to be more available for you. I want to be more used by you. I want to be more pliable in your hand, Lord. I want to be a vessel sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared under every good work. Lord, I don't want 2023 to be a wasted year. I don't want to just go through in limbo. I just don't want to, uh, as it were, just rock through life. I want the lamp of my life to be burnt out for thee. And I'm asking you that the perfect servant would come and live his life through me. We walk down the art gallery and we gaze at another picture. We walk down and we see and we start to gaze upon another portrait by the prophet Isaiah and, and this picture, it gets your attention. In the background of the, in the painting, there, there's the rolling hills of Judea. The hills, the sandy hills of the Judean landscape. There's a man in the portrait, and he's a bag on his shoulder. He has a staff in his hand. And he's a flock of sheep at his feet. And the title of the portrait is The Great Shepherd. And this is not a picture that you'll see in any Christmas card like the other picture that we've talked about. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the perfect servant, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. And I'm glad this morning he knows how to look after us. And I'm glad, and I'm sure we could stop the meeting here for a moment and we could start to sing, I have a shepherd, one I love so well. How he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. On the cross he suffered, shed in his blood and died, that I might ever in his love 
confide. Three times in the New Testament, he's described as the, the shepherd. He's described as the good shepherd that gives life for the sheep. And that points you to the cross of Calvary where the good shepherd, he, he went to the cross and paid the ultimate price to buy us back from sin. And there with the crown of thorns upon his head and the nails in his hand and his back like a ploughed field, my, he could say, I lay down my life and I have power to take it again. And then he's described not only as a good shepherd, he's described as a great shepherd. He's described as the chief shepherd. And my dear people, all of the shepherds in the Bible, there were some tremendous shepherds, but the Lord Jesus Christ outshines them all. He's a, he's a great shepherd. One of the loveliest things that we can say as the believers this morning that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. To have a shepherd in life, one that loves us and one that lifts us. One that leads us. One that will never leave us. One that will never lose us. He's the one that calls us by our name. He's the one that carries us and keeps us and cares for us. He's the one that watches us. He's the one that knows us. He knows who we are. He knows where we are. We, he knows how we are. And while others pass us by along the road of life and they, they're not really concerned about where we are in our, in our spiritual life, the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned and he knows. He's a perfect servant. He's got a watchful eye and he watches over his sheep and he knows whenever there's a problem in the life of his people. And if you're here this morning and there's sin in your life and no one else may know anything about it, the great shepherd of the sheep, he's been watching. He knows the people of God. He knows when there's sin in their life. He knows when there's burdens in their heart. He knows when there's, there's fears come into their mind. He knows everything. And there's a few people here this morning, maybe young mothers and you're, you're waiting on the day whenever you will go into the delivery ward and you're expecting this little one to come into the world and you're, you're anxious about the nurses and you're anxious about the delivery. My dear people, he's the great shepherd of the sheep and it says that he will gently lead those that are with young. He's a good shepherd. He knows everything there is to know about us. There's some things that he has that are very wonderful, you know. A shepherd has a lot of things in his toolkit, as it were. He is a shepherd's bag. You'll remember whenever David went down into the valley of Elah and there he was going to fight with Goliath. It says that he put his hand into the shepherd's bag. It was the bag that a shepherd had. You see, whenever a shepherd went out into the hills of Judea and he was watching his flock and he lived among his flock and he knew them by name and he called them and he led them and they followed him, there was times in the life of a sheep where they were weary along the road. Where in the heat of the Judean sun they, they were overcome and they were burdened and they were weary and they were weak. And he was maybe watching the flock and he would see maybe a, a lamb or a sheep and it's just lying there faint and weary by the wayside. Lost to fight and lost to desire even to live. And maybe that's you this morning. And the shepherd would come along and he would see that sheep that is almost at the point of death, almost ready to give up. And he would put his hand into his shepherd's bag and he would pull out. He would pull out a little jar of oil. And the psalmist in Psalm 23 said, He anointeth my head with oil. And the oil always refreshed the sheep. 
And my dear people here this morning, I'm sure that there's some people here, and that's exactly where you are in the flock of Jesus Christ. You're weary with the battles. You're weary with the struggles. You're weary with the uphill climb of the health. And there's times in your life when you say, Lord, would you bring the shepherd's bag? And he brings out the little jar of oil. And he anoints the head with oil. In that little bag, he'll have another little jar. It's a little jar of wine. And along the road of life, the little sheep, what would happen along the, the rugged hills and the stones and the thorns and the briars, they would, get, they would get cut, they would get wounded. There would be scars there, and those scars would start to fester. Things that hadn't been sorted out, and I'm sure there's people like that here today, and there's scars and wounds in your life, and they've never been, they've never been sorted out. And that little wound would begin to grow and it would get infected. And the shepherd would come over with his shepherd's bag and he would put his hand into the bag and he would get the, the wine, and, an antiseptic. And he would pour it upon the festering wound. And I can give you a good picture of the, the great shepherd at work because there was a moment and a day in his life whenever he was coming up from Jericho and he found a man who was lying on the Jericho road. And it says of the good Samaritan, the picture of the Lord Jesus, that he bound up his wounds and he poured in the oil and the wine. Hallelujah. The kind that restoreth my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. And he poured in the oil and the wine. Do you need the oil? Do you need the wine? Because he not only had the shepherd's bag, he had the rod in his hand. In Psalm 23, it says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the rod was a club. It was a, an instrument that he used to defend the sheep. It was like a stick with a knot of wood at the top of it. And sometimes they would pour lead into it to give it weight. And if the enemy came, if the predators came, the little sheep were defenseless. They couldn't do anything against a lion or against a bear. But the shepherd would step in. And he would take his rod and he would deal with the enemy. I say to you, my dear people, this morning, whenever the enemy comes, we, we need to cry unto the good shepherd and we say, Lord, bring the rod, take the rod against the enemy. Strike a blow to the devil, Lord. He's a great shepherd of the sheep. He knows how to defend the flock. But it says not only the rod, it says thy staff. And you remember the staff, and you'll see the shepherds with them today, maybe a six foot high and the hook on the end. And the staff, it was for directing the sheep. And there's times in the life of the little, the flock, whenever the shepherd was leading them from one pasture to another. And he would be bringing them through a ravine. And it's called in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. And we all have to go through it. And the little lamb would be walking with the shepherd and it would, maybe, it would maybe hear the noise of the predator. It would maybe hear the growl of the bear or the roar of the lion. And it knows the enemy's not too far away. And his little footing was uncertain. And what the shepherd would do, he would bring the little lamb in alongside its leg and then he would put the staff at the other side and he would wedge the little sheep in beside himself. And that's why the psalmist David in Psalm 23 said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the word comfort there is the word to sigh, a sigh of relief. For thou art with me. 
And as we leave 2022 and go into 2023 with all of the uncertainties and all of the valleys and all of the enemies, I want to tell you that the rod of the shepherd and the staff of the shepherd is still able to comfort today. And the little lamb would sigh a, a sigh of relief. There's one th thing more that I'll mention about a shepherd. He had a sling. And you remember David used it whenever he went down to fight Goliath. But whenever a shepherd was watching over the sheep, and the flock would be scattered over the hills, and maybe there would one be, it would just start to wander away, and it would start to get away from the fold, and it would go out on his own. And there's maybe some people here like that this morning and the world has started to get your attention and you've really no desire for God or for the things of God or for prayer or for the word of the Lord. You're starting to drift as it were. And the shepherd would watch the little flock and he would see the one sheep and it would start to wander away and it was maybe going over to a, a precipice or over to a cliff. It was, it was getting into danger. And instead of shouting over at the sheep, he would get a sling and he would put a stone into it. And he would sling the little thing round and round and he would just drop a stone and he would fire a warning shot just maybe five or six yards in front. And that little sheep that was unaware of its danger would cock its head. And if he didn't respond, what the shepherd would do, he'd get the sling again, put another stone and he would just drop another stone a little bit closer to the sheep. It was a warning shot. And after a few times, the little lamb would come back into the fold. My dear people, there's some of you here today and God has been sending warning shots over your family. And as yet you haven't heeded it. There's been warning shots that he's been slinging in your health and in your finances and in your marriage, but you haven't heeded it. And you're at a place of danger. The enemy almost has you. You're almost going to be annihilated. And the good shepherd of the sheep, he's tried this stone and he's tried that stone. But you, with your headstrong will, you've just kept going on. And there's times when the Lord Jesus has to correct his people. And Peter said in his epistle, Ye are a sheep going astray, but now are returned. Onto the shepherd. And I want to say to you, my dear backslider this morning, you need to return. Return. Now, there's one more picture, and with this a close. There's not the picture only of the perfect servant and the, the great shepherd. We walk down through God's art gallery, and we stand, and we gaze, and we look at another picture. It's one of the first pictures that Isaiah painted himself. He drew it in the year that King Isaiah died. In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated upon his throne. And we can see the Lord Jesus now, not as a, sh a servant that is working, not only as a shepherd among his sheep, we can see him as a so sovereign upon the throne. Uh, and there his tree and his glory fills the temple. And Isaiah said, when I saw him, I said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. And that's why the Lord Jesus, he was born as a king. The wise men came from the east and they said, where is he that is born? King of the Jews. 
for we have come to worship him. He was a king in his life whenever he came into, into Jerusalem. It says in Zechariah 9 that he came, the king, riding upon the coal, the fault of an ass. He was the king. Whenever he was on the cross of Calvary, bearing our sins and our sorrows, where he made them his very own, Pilate, he got a superscription, and he wrote it himself in, in Latin and Hebrew and Greek. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And I'm sure many of us, we would need to rededicate our lives to him. That we would say like the hemorrhager, king of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. And there on the cross of Calvary, the perfect servant, the great shepherd, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, there he died for you and for me. What a picture. And there's coming a day when we're going to see him and maybe the day the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's coming back for his people. He's coming back for you and I, the flock of, of his fold. And we're going to see him face to face. Shall I behold him face to face? What will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Would you like to live for him in 2023 the way that you and I live for him in 2022? The one that we sing so much about and the one that we talk so much about and the one, one that we want to bring others to, did we really live our lives for him in the past year? Did we really honor him? Did we really extol him? Did we really do everything for him that we could have done? Did we really serve him? Did we really worship him? Did we really love him? My, the way that he deserves to be loved. Or has he been some distant figure, some distant person in the background of life? Where we come one Sunday of the year and we think of his birth. And then we really forget about him the rest of the year. It's ironic to me that the Bible never tells us to remember his birth. We're never told to remember the baby in the manger. It's ironic to me that we're never really told to remember the wise men. We're never really told to remember the shepherds that came to heal his arrival. But we are told to remember his death. To remember him. It says in the song of Solomon, the king sitteth at his table. And I tell you, one of the greatest things that you and I as the people of God can do is just to gather around his table. To get our eyes upon him and when we see the bread and the wine that reminds us of the, the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. And you say, Lord, was that all for me? And the answer would come back from the heavenly courts this morning. Yes, it was for me. It's all for me. The love of God. So great, so free. These three lovely pictures of the Lord Jesus. And I trust this morning that they'll inspire your walk with God. And I trust the prayer of your heart will be like my prayer in the last week would be, Lord, help me to serve him more. That the lamp of my life, Lord, will be burnt out for thee. That my time and my ambition, Lord, that I would be humble, that I would be gentle, that I would be faithful. Lord, would you come and live your life out in me? 
and that others would take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. 